podcast, a sacred platform where Jewish Iranian changemakers turn taboo topics into transformational opportunities for the community. I'm your hostess, Nicole Napovar, a licensed psychotherapist with a private practice in Century City, and I'm also the co-founder of Chaya, a community of intimate gatherings for Jewish Iranians to experience meaningful connection and deepen their sense of self. The intention of this podcast is to support our listeners' evolution by challenging the rules our parents and community want for us in order to have their definition of the best life. Instead, let's decide from a more conscious place in our souls which practices we want to keep, which ones we want to let go of, and how we can own those decisions with grace so that we can thrive in more fulfilling and authentic lives. This is the Chaya Podcast, and I'm your hostess, Nicole Napovar. Hey Chaya fam, this is Nicole Napovar. I am so excited today to have Rabbi Joseph Shamash joining us, who is a Jewish Persian cowboy born in Dallas, Texas to Iranian immigrants. Joseph currently serves as a spiritual counselor and manager of the Elaine Breslow Institute at Beit Teshuva, a full-time Jewish residential treatment facility that fuses Jewish spirituality with the 12 steps to help addicts in recovery live better lives. He's a trained sofer, an award-winning filmmaker, and avid meditator. Joseph lives in L.A. with his wife, Ali Peha Shamash, and their two wonderful children, Benjamin and Lucy. I also have the pleasure of having Danny here today, who was an inpatient at Beit Shuba for nine months and has been sober for a year and a half to share his story as well. Thank you guys so much for being here. So happy to be here. I'm yeah. so excited. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. So usually I end with this question um, every time I interview someone, but today I'd like to start with it. As you know, in the Jewish Iranian community, there are a lot of rules and formulas about what success looks like and how you're supposed to show up, how you're supposed to dress, what kind of job you're supposed to have, who are you supposed to marry. There's so much, and it's all sort of crafted for, you know, the best of us and for us to be happy and successful. But sometimes this sort of formula doesn't fit everyone. Many times it doesn't fit. It's not a one-fits-all solution. So my question for you guys is, what's one rule that you've broken in the Jewish Ryan community, and what did you gain, and what did you lose from breaking that rule? Mm. What a wonderful question. Thanks again for having us. I got expelled from my Jewish day school when I was 13. I started a fire um, <laughs> because I was a, a stupid, uh, you know, 13-year-old boy, really, <laughs> who liked to play with fire. And um, not only did I start a fire, but there was a time where in class, I, my friends and I, we brought hairspray and lighters to the school. Oh my and God. <laughs> as the rabbi was teaching on the blackboard, I would light hairspray on fire. So what I, lo- what I learned from being expelled actually was how, how much my parents cared about Jewish education, uh, how much they, they demanded of me to, to get back into Judaism because they showed up every day for a month. They got a petition signed from every family in my class and begged for me to go back to school. And it wasn't until the head of Hillel, at that time Rabbi Gottesman, who said he deserves a second chance. He's a good kid. He deserves a second chance. 
And I think in the role that I'm in, that was the one of the first lessons I had in tshuva. Mm. One of the lessons of, okay, I screwed up. How do I make it right? Somebody's giving me a second chance. Now, how do I, how do I take those lessons that I've learned from choosing the wrong path to, mm. to do better? I love that. Amazing. I don't know if my parents would have thought it was amazing at the time, but I think, <laughs> I, I think back so much, like I wouldn't be a, I don't think I'd be a rabbi today if it wasn't for that experience. Wow. That's amazing. So it's kind of someone showed compassion or and a second chance or an opportunity for you. And that kind of carried into your work that you're doing today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what is the actual definition of Shuba for those of us who don't know? Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> So tshuva is a wonderful root word in Hebrew that has a number of, we typically translate it as repentance. But what does repentance mean? At, at Beit Shuva, what we call the house of tshuva or the house of return, the Hebrew root is from shuv, to return. So what are we returning to? Returning our higher selves, returning to God, returning to our the path that God has potentially laid out for us, but we've been you know, meandering during uh, it on down other paths that maybe aren't our our best interests. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's this also this third aspect of repair or respond. So uh, we preach repent, return, respond um, mm-hmm. as tshuva. And there's always this um, th- the Rambam he talks about what what the highest form of tshuva is is when you're in a very similar situation. And you've chosen one path that first time, but then you're in that same situation again. And because you've gone a different route, you, you're able to make that right decision that mm-hmm. second time around. Mm-hmm. That's what's doing tshuva. Mm-hmm. So what's one rule you've broken, Danny? Honestly, I was thinking about this, and I feel like I've just literally broken like every single one of the rules. <laughs> like doing drugs early, failing classes who I hang out with, who I date. I used to like starting fires too. I've actually, I've been arrested for starting a fire. God, like I've been in and out of like institutions, jail. Like I started going, I started getting arrested when I was a juvenile. So like I've been to like juvenile hall. I really, I can't even sum it down to one. Something about being told what to do from a very young age makes me want to go the opposite route. Like if you say you can't pull this off, I'm going to go the opposite route so I can do it for myself. And I feel like the most like beneficial thing was like the experience. Like I have friends that I grew up with. Like I went to like Beverly high, I went to Jewish private school and like, they're so different from me because they've just been so like sheltered. Like I've been allowed to make my own mistakes through like trial and error. And like, I can make decisions for myself and I've experienced so much more. And I feel like that's like made me a better person because I'm like mm-hmm. not only knowledgeable, but I'm like mature about it. I don't need to be directed. I love that. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey, Danny, with becoming sober and your experience? Okay. Uh, it's been a long journey. So I'm 27. I started doing drugs at 14, like hard drugs. I honestly didn't even think I had a problem until I was 18. So once I turned 18, my house got raided. I got sent to real jail this time. And then I got bailed out. And then I was forced 
literally the only condition I was going to be bailed out was if I went to treatment. Mm. So I was forced to actually go to Beit Shuva. And even though I was reluctant as can be, like literally I tried to go in there and just grasp no knowledge whatsoever. But after I left and I did my six months court sentence, like a seed was planted. And at that point I knew like, okay, I need to mm. get sober. Like I knew a better way as opposed to just being like oblivious and young. And can you tell us a little bit about your story as well, Rabbi, with um, just, I know you mentioned breaking the rules and how it kind of got you to this point. Yeah, so I, I think it comes back to right what, what my, my bio when I say I'm a Jewish Persian cowboy. The very first lesson that I learned as a kid, as a Persian kid growing up in Dallas, Texas, my first memory is, is saying to myself, oh gosh, I don't belong here. We don't belong here. Mm. And so now I recognize that's a story that a young kid is telling himself to, to make sense of the world. But what I learned from that was that I, I had to change who I am in order to survive. Mm. I had to, you know, it was a, I had to fit in instead of belong, which is what we talk about a lot at Beit Shuva. Mm -hmm. Fitting in is showing parts of myself so people like you mm -hmm. versus belonging is bringing the good, the bad, the ugly mm -hmm. and, and not hiding who you are because you're afraid of not being accepted. Right. I think every Persian Jew in our community struggles with feeling like an outsider in one part of their life or another and struggles with this differentiation between fitting in and belonging and what's the difference and how can we sort of create relationships that allow us to feel belonging versus forcing us to feel like we need to fit in. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's one of the beautiful things about Beit Shuva is that we, we, we mission ourselves as being a home, a place for misfits. Mm. And yes, I've that. made mistakes. I've done, I've broken a lot of those rules, I've also struggled with mental health and been hospitalized at the UCLA psych ward for eight days because of a manic episode. Mm -hmm. So these experiences of being, you know, somewhat outcast, outside the box, outside the mold, um, led me on a journey to really figure out, okay, who the hell am I? Mm -hmm. Who is Joseph Shamash? Mm -hmm. Now, that led me to becoming Rabbi Joseph Shamash, which is still part of like, I'm still integrating those different parts of my Jewish, my Persian and my American self. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's what led me a lot to Beit Shuva is like, okay, it's a place for me to bring the totality of my being, my unique self um, and bring a sense of healing to others because of we, we all struggle with this. Yeah. We all struggle with this question of who am I? Yeah, absolutely. On that note, what are some messages that you feel like our Jewish Iranian community is struggling with when it comes to addiction and drugs? Like what kind of messages do you feel like we're getting about how we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to think about substance use? I feel like the Jewish Persian community just completely neglects the fact that even addiction exists like i i remember like growing up my uncle's grandfather like like alcohol is such a key component of every single holiday <laughs> like i don't even think i've ever been to a single gathering 
where at least one person was so drunk that he didn't just completely act a fool. Mm-hmm. I feel like it sticks more with, like, alcohol and, like, you know, tariok or, like, opium. Mm-hmm. That's what, like, Americans call it. And it's kind of, like, hush-hush and, like, everyone does it. So it's kind of, like, cool. It's not even, like, an addiction. It's just the norm. Mm-hmm. Right? Whereas us, as, like, the younger generation, we like to do harder things. Like, I don't want to just drink. I want to drink, smoke weed, do blow. You know, it transitions into, like, harder stuff. Mm-hmm. The parents are completely, like, like my dad was, like, completely, like, baffled by it. Like, he literally didn't know what to do. This guy was, like, completely lost. It was just, like, for the longest time, he was just, like, in denial. It's, like, picture, like, I'm on heroin in the house, getting high. My friends are dope fiends, but he's just, like, in denial, doesn't even know what to do. Then, like, you know... I started failing drug tests. The drug tests kept coming back to him. Then, like, finally when I turned 18 and the drugs were in the house, then he's like, okay, this guy probably has a problem, but he still didn't know how to tackle it. And, like, neither did I. And I've been doing this for, like, 13, 14 years. I'm sober now. But my, like, you know, older generation father still doesn't even know how to say sober. He says sea bear. He's like, Danny, you're sea bear? And he still can't, like, they literally can't differentiate between, like, alcohol, like, alcoholism and, like, addiction. So, like, still, if I go to, like, family functions, I'm offered vodka. I'm offered Mm -hmm. beer. Like, it's not even, like, a thing. Like, oh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't give it to him because, like, it's going to unleash an animal. It's like, oh, he has a drug problem. Here's a beer. You're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? so interesting. Yeah. Whereas I I even struggle with both. Like, I'm an alcoholic and I like drugs. So, it's, like... It's very shunned. It's very, like, taboo. If you even, like, smoke weed, it's, like, an extreme to where, like, you skip, like, you skip being, like, a daily, you know, pot smoker to, like, the word in Farsi is, like, motad. Like, oh, this guy's, like, a full-blown addict. He smokes mm-hmm. weed. Like, that's it. He's, it's done for him. So there's a lot of, like, extremes, and there's not a whole lot of gray or in-between when it comes to how addiction or sobriety is described sometimes it's like there's not even a word for sobriety in our culture yeah exactly it's just kept very like hush hush thank god it's starting to be a little bit like more uh normalized so like i was the first one in my family that had like a really really heavy problem now they're kind of starting to see what's going on at like one side of the family my uh cousin ended up doing drugs too so my aunt and uncle quickly sought help for him, so he's doing good too. But it's like just now, like after all these years of like opium being a part of the culture, alcohol being a part of the Jewish culture is like just now becoming like a topic of discussion even. It's not even accepted yet. I don't even want to say like, oh, people are like, okay, yeah, he's an addict. He's doing well. It's still like, ooh, he's an addict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been to treatment three times now. Out of a hundred, what is it, 180 to 200 person treatment center where, I mean, you have all sorts of races and think of it as a primarily Jewish facility. There was me and one other person who came probably four or five months after me. So think about one out of two out of 180 people were even Persian Jews. Mm -hmm. Now, there is no way possible, like all my friends who are Persian Jews that are addicts literally skipped treatment and just you know, got sober. So think about how denied it is. 
Or didn't get sober. Just, yeah, didn't get, I mean, yeah, <laughs> didn't get sober, disappeared or went to jail. So yeah. think about how, like, denied it is and, like, how far out of the scope it is that two out of 180 people even made it into the treatment center. Some of the wonderful things about our culture is, is our, our ability to be so tight-knit, right? We all mm-hmm. know each other's business. Mm-hmm. And part of that is beautiful because we're a tight-knit community. Family is so important. But then when problems show up, there's this wall. There's this like shame wall or like we're not going to go there. We're not going to talk about anything bad about our family because we're afraid of, you know, Danny's not going to get married or Joseph's not going to find a wife or he's not going to find a good job or whatever or or whatever shame it might bring or or lack of honor to our families. I, I think that becomes a disservice to. Mm-hmm. to this, the generation that is, is different from our parents' generation. You know, my parents, I, thank God, like they came here with, my dad talks, he came here with $48 in his pocket. Like absolutely nothing. And he busted his ass, and my mom as well, to struggle f- to, to provide a better life for their kids. And that was their mission. That was their goal, to survive, to thrive, to give us a better opportunity. And, and we sometimes in this land of plenty and opportunity, when we don't have that mission, when we don't have that purpose, when we don't have that understanding of, well, why am I doing this? I'm just told I need to be successful. I need to be prosperous. I need to do well in school, get a good job, make money own a home, get married, have children. Mm -hmm. But I'm not told about the piece of fulfillment. I'm not told about how you are created in the image of God and therefore you have a divine mission to make this world a better place. Like, how are we talking to that aspect of who we are as American Persian Jews? Mm -hmm. And I I think when we have that conversation, that allows for more failure. That allows for more outside of the box growth that I think I know I needed and I think so many more of our generation is yearning for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I do think fulfillment is a big thing that's missing from our community. And that starts with that question of what you said earlier, which is who am I? You know, And once you kind of get clear on that question or as you decide to even begin to explore that question, a lot of fulfillment can start to pour into your life. My parents thought I was crazy for what I was doing. Like I had a job working in the entertainment industry, making great money. I had benefits when the <laughs> what, during the Great Recession, right? Yeah. I had benefits. Like wow, mm-hmm. I was making money. I had a good job, and I said, "I'm I'm leaving this job to go study in Jerusalem to go into yeshiva and learn." And they were like what is wrong with you? Mm -hmm. Why in the world are you giving all this away? And it was because of how hard they worked. It was because of what they sacrificed for us that I felt like if I don't do this, I'm lying to myself. I have to figure out Mm -hmm. what my role is, what my purpose is, why I'm, what, what am I working towards? And, and that, that decision was one of the best decisions of my life. My next question for you guys is, what is 
Judaism's take on addiction and mental health? AA is Christian based. Mm-hmm. Prayers are all Christian based. Mm-hmm. I went to like Jewish private school, so that really bothered me. But being in a Jewish treatment center, I've come to realize like, and I don't even feel like this is just like Judaism, but I feel like the fundamental aspects of like Alcoholics Anonymous, like repentance or shuva or making amends or like all these like different aspects of like, these are all just like tools to life. And Judaism like is like a great way to like look into it. Like, for example, like some people like struggle with like spirituality. So I feel like they like look towards like AA or like say like higher power. But like I'm like Jewish and like I've always been aware of the fact that like there's God. Like there's been uh, so many times in my life where I tried so hard to do good, but I was doing bad and God would punish me. Like when I'm getting high, everything goes wrong. Everything goes wrong. (laughs) everything i could try to be a little bit more like low-key still get arrested i could try to build relationships burn them down just i'm just like literally like the like the best way to say it is like unlucky Mm. but then when i'm like sober practicing like spiritual principles like i pray i do a shema every night i try to do like to fill in like everything works out like no matter what i just like have faith i surrender and like i feel like they go hand in hand i really do like judaism sobriety fundamental principles the laws of the torah the ten commandments it's all about just like being a good person that's all it like really is giving you the tools to be a good person giving you the tools to fix it when you make your mistakes giving you the tools to be like in touch with god or judaism however you prefer it but judaism has so much to say about every aspect of human existence ultimately you know rabbi heschel rabbi abraham joshua heschel who we we learn a lot at Beit Shuva, talks about religion's job is to answer life's ultimate questions, right? One of the ultimate questions that we as all humans need to learn is, how do I live a good life? How do I make meaning? What does it mean to live a holy life? What What is sacred obligation or one of the things that we called mitzvot, right? Mm-hmm. What are the things of, how do I, how am I in covenant? How am I in relationship with others? Mm-hmm. What is my relationship to spirit, to God, higher power, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. this force that is something greater than myself? Mm-hmm. Like the, the Talmud talks about tshuva being one of the forces that was created before the world was created itself. In the fabric of, in the DNA of the world, we're, we're given and we're recognized that we're going to fail, we're going to mess up, and we always have an opportunity to grow. So when we're dealing with our struggles of making sense with the world, when we're dealing with despair and sadness, there's always an opportunity to be welcomed back, right? There's, there, you're, never, you're never a goner. Um, and, and one of the things that that Rabbi Mark, Rabbi Mark Borovitz, who's the, who's the founding rabbi of Beit Teshuvah, he says all the time, right? In the Torah, it says we are created in the image of God. Well, that means God didn't make junk, mm. right? So, so whatever state of being you're in, whether th- you have a disability, you have some kind of mental health problem or challenge, I don't even want to call it a problem, or addiction, you're still created in the image of God, right? And the first lesson that we try to 
tell and teach and and embody to our residents is that you are a holy soul and you matter. You have dignity. Judaism kind of encompasses all of the, tries to answer all of these questions and really empower us to live good lives. And that's ultimately what I think we're all longing for. How is your method sort of different than 12 Steps? Our executive director, um, Sergio, who came came to Beit Shuva through the UCLA, did a longitudinal study of the effectiveness of Beit Shuva as a treatment model versus other um, Mm. residential programs. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what he found in his research is that the spiritual component of Beit Shuva, the fact that it is a Jewish-based institutional program that focuses on Jewish spirituality is the is the thing that changes it from any other treatment facility. So, so that model is at the core, that part of being a Jewish-centered on spirituality. Mm-hmm. In addition, while fusing um, AA and psycho-spiritual, you know, therapeutics and everything, um, is what really gives... Beit Shuva, its its core or value proposition. I'd say I'd say that piece, and we're a congregation. So this idea that it's a home where you can belong, right? Whatever, whether you're in prison, where you're on the streets, whether you're an addict, whether you're a gambler, sex addict, whatever it is, there's a place for you. Mm-hmm. Is is really empowering, right? Mm-hmm. There's um, Johan Hari. He talks about the opposite of diction isn't sobriety. The opposite of diction is connection. Mm. And so what we really try to foster is connection Co- all, all or across the board. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is really our bread and butter. Mm-hmm. And so when you say all across the board, you mean like connection to self, connection to others, connection to God? Community, God, others, yourself, your higher power, absolutely, right? Cool. Connecting back to family, connecting to the mm. text, connecting to Beautiful. tradition, uh, and really giving people an opportunity to grow that connection mm-hmm. beyond just, you know, being sober. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you have been in treatment three times. So how was this experience different for you? What made this one stick First off, I just want to express my gratitude for Beit Shuva. So they actually took me in three times on a scholarship, all three times. Wow. I'm the type of person that I burn all my resources to the ground prior to going. So, like, first time I was forced because of court. Second time, burnt out again, utilized everything to the ground. This time, this time I really went deep. This time, so I lost my phone so i had no way to even contact people burnt through all my money i mean i like literally got kicked out of my house without a wallet so like i was really really out of options and of course they took me in all three times i've been going back and forth with it so many times and it's all about like when you're like ready when i was younger like i got sober at like 19 actually i put four years together at 19 but I started so young, I almost thought, like, you know what? Maybe this is just a phase. I was like, I've never tried drinking. I've never tried this. I've never tried that. It's all just, it's all about, like, just being sure. This time, I'm like, sure. Like, I am not, like, so. I, I we see a lot of people in treatment that they're like, oh, maybe it was just heroin. Maybe it was just this. Maybe I could pull it off if I, if I just did this. Like, I really, I really 
went through every single like alternative route. Like I tried switching liquors. I did everything that they say in like the big book. Like I tried switching liquors. I tried switching my environment. I tried switching work. I tried doing this, doing that. And like literally I explored every single option. And once you come to like a direct realization that you're really an addict and alcoholic at the core, like the only way to go is up. Mm -hmm. I could entertain, you know, playing with my addiction for another couple of years but like nothing happens literally nothing happens when i start getting high time is happening but i'm stuck and i'm moving backwards just i'm sure of the fact that i'm an addict i'm sure of what i need to do and i'm well aware that there's a better route so rather than waste my time i'm going to utilize the resources that beju was provided 12 steps is provided and honestly god is provided like god really gave me the opportunity to to make it through one more time like this last time i almost I almost died six times six times i had seizures or something happened where like i could have just flatlined and been out so the fact that i'm still alive like i need to utilize that chance a cat has nine lives i don't know how many i have like i can't, <laughs> I can't really be messing around anymore first of all danny thank god you've lived that many lives and that <laughs> you've you've come so far um i think you touched at a really core principle that you were ready, you were open. And I can say, while I haven't struggled with addiction in the way you have, I can relate to my own struggles with, I can't smoke weed because the times where I've smoked weed, it have inevitably led me to manic episodes. Three different times the combination of a lack of sleep, some alcohol, and weed, and so usually some kind of turning point in my own life, if I smoked at that point, it would lead to mania. I didn't have the willingness to give it up, to say it's not worth it, that there's something better out there for me. So, so maybe I am an addict in that sense, that I had to say no to something, and I know I can't go back. But there's other impulse controls that I still struggle with, whether it's getting in fights with my wife, right? Getting angry. How do I let go in the moment where I know this isn't, this isn't the best path, but I, I haven't learned the tool or the resource to do something different? And so in that sense, like what, one of the things that Harriet Rosetta, our founder, talks about is like, you don't have to be an addict to be in recovery. These are human experiences. Mm -hmm. This is all of, all of it comes back to our own brokenness, our own, the human experience of trying to live well and figure it out and be mm -hmm. better one grain of sand every day. Mm -hmm. I was an addict way prior to even like doing the drugs. Like I knew I was different. I had a problem. I like everything in excess, like everything in excess right? So when I got sober at 19 and I put that four years together, like I should have stayed on that path. Like no one who's not a drug addict questions if they're not a drug addict. Like if you're questioning, if you're a drug addict or an alcoholic, you're probably a drug addict and an alcoholic. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> flat out. Right. And it only could benefit you to stay sober, work some steps, and utilize some resources that could help you in your life. I mean, you're not going to lose anything. It's only positive that could happen if you get sober, work some steps, 
utilize a program, utilize people around you to benefit your life. There's literally nothing you will lose. So if someone's like 18, 19, 17, 20, it doesn't, it shouldn't stop you. Age is literally nothing but a number. I was in treatment with a kid that was 18 years old. He was the youngest guy there. He kept saying, hey, I'm going to go get this later. I'm going to try again later. I don't want to, I mean, drop his name. But this kid got out, lasted a month, and just died. Flat out died. Mm -hmm. Little brother at stake, parents at stake, supportive family, just because he was like, you know what, I have some time. Time has nothing to do with it. Time is, I mean, it's literally your worst nightmare. It's just going to be wasted if you're out there i i want to actually ask you a question danny about this because you said something really interesting you kind of had a feeling that you were an addict even before you started using substances because you noticed that you did everything in excess so what other signs for our listeners who might be struggling with the question of the difference between addiction and experimentation what other signs are there of someone who's an addict and i'm a I'm a psychotherapist also, so I have some perspective on this as well, but I'd like to hear from you. Just because you do drugs doesn't make you a drug addict. Mm -hmm. Like, I know people that are very successful, and they're able to do cocaine on the weekends, Mm -hmm. or they're able to drink on the weekends, or let's say go to, I don't know, a festival and take, like, hallucinogenic. That's completely different. Now... There's also different kinds of addiction. There's gambling, there's love addiction, there's sex addiction... There's so many different kinds. If you find yourself unable to stop or if you find it like transitioning into like the weekdays or you find yourself literally just counting down the days until that weekend hits or that next hit in between the time, more than likely you're an addict because someone who's not an addict can put it down, not think about it and just transition on in their life. Like in regards to me, like, how I said I like everything to excess. Like, it's not just drugs and alcohol. Like, it's literally everything in my life I like to excess. Like, I'll have something sweet. And, like, before I know it, I consumed, like, 5,000 calories worth of, like, donuts <laughs> and, like, chocolate-filled this and, like, glaze. Like, the gym. Like, I, like, found other things to, like, bring me, like, pleasure other than, like, drugs and alcohol. You know what I mean? But, like, I'll go to the gym and, like, bodybuilders are in and out in like an hour and a half i'm in there for like three hours for no reason just killing myself like you know like it's all about like moderation and if you're someone who can't control the amount that you're moderating that's clear indicator right there so this is a hard question because it's so hard to pinpoint i don't think it i don't think we can say very neatly this is addiction this is experimentation so easily but looking at it through a Jewish lens, a, a spiritual lens, right? We, we think of addiction as a spiritual malady. And, and the use of drugs or sex or gambling as a temporary relief from the spiritual pain of our soul. When I want to hide, when, when life is difficult and I don't want to be responsible for the things that I need to take care of? Am I seeking relief from some alternative substance? And that can be Netflix. That can be social media. It can be a a hundred different things of a form of hiding, right? And this 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 is the 
question from the garden, right? After Adam and Eve eat from the forbidden fruit, God's calling out to us, Ayeka, where are you at? Where are you at? And Adam and Eve's response is both to blame somebody else. Adam blames God for putting Eve by his side and blames Eve for, and Eve blames the snake. But but the spiritual, the, the response is, do I show up? Do I, am I present? Do I say, Hineni, here I am, and, and confront with and cope with whatever pain we are struggling with? Mm-hmm. Do we reach out to a friend and say, hey, I'm, I'm suffering right now. Help me out. Let's talk this through. Do I do something? Do I go for a run? Do I go exercise? Do I, whatever is part of um, a, a spiritual program to, again, deal with that internal pain that we all experience at times Hmm. that's that's the like i don't care if it's a disease i don't care if it's what however we want to label it scientifically but because it's a it's a human experience of hiding and and learning how to be present with it you know i heard from danny like getting some steps under your belt looking into some resources trying some different things out there are so many options and i know you guys you guys have an inpatient sort of model is there other touch points that people who are maybe struggling with addiction and are listening to this episode can access before kind of going full-on into inpatient so part of what we do um, at Beit Shuva we have it, the Lane Breslow Institute which is one of the things that I, I manage is our our work in prevention how are we going into schools teaching about addiction working with from middle school students to high school students, how are we spreading the message around? We have different programs that incorporate arts, creative arts, whether that's our freedom song musical to get people to have a conversation about what is addiction like in our communities. So there are, there are a number of ways that you can get involved and bring Beit Shuba to your community to continue that conversation. We do immersions for Jewish professionals and medical professionals to teach on addiction. And also right now, within the virtual world, we have virtual Shabbats, right? You can come in. Normally we have a big band um, on Friday nights. We have different themed Shabbats that, that we welcome anybody who is looking for a path to living a better life. Very cool. And this is all stuff that we can learn about, I'm guessing, online, looking up your website and all of that. Absolutely. Amazing. So now we know how to get more of you. And my question, my last question for you guys is, what if you are listening to this episode and you're wondering, maybe you're not directly struggling with addiction, but you have a sibling or a child or a parent or a friend who might be struggling with addiction. What are some tools or tips or mindset that you can offer them on how to navigate that? I can say from my own experience, just being attentive and listening, letting people share their story without a sense of judgment or adding shame or how could you do this? Why? What's wrong with you? Being able to... I would never do that. Yeah. Right. Like Mm -hmm. creating safe space for these conversations to emerge organically um, and then, and then affirming people's value, right? You matter. Your life matters. Being exactly the way you are is okay. We just, you know, you, there's nothing wrong with you. 
You just need to, we need to learn how to live a different way, a better way. I think those are some, some just basic things and, and reach out for help. There are resources. There are people who want to support, who want to learn from you, learn with you. And, Mm -hmm. and we're here as a resource and a guide um, for the broader Jewish community, not just the Persian community, but the broader Jewish community are all across the country. Beautiful. Thank you guys so, so, so much for making the time to come here and share your story and share your wisdom. And um, I'm sure this will change many lives and affect many who listen. So thank you. Thank you for that. Amen. Thank you for having us.